0: All right, well, with that, we are going to read uh, Hebrews 11, 1 through 4, and then we're going to go back to the story, Genesis 4, 1 through 16. So I invite you, as you turn to Hebrews and to Genesis, if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so. We'll start off in Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 4, and then we'll turn over to Genesis 4, 1 through 16, and uh, it'll be on the screen as well. And I will be reading from the NLT. Hebrews 11, through 4 reads, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And now Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it. "'and be its master. "'One day Cain suggested to his brother, "'Let's go out into the fields.' "'And while they were in the field, "'Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. "'Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, "'Where is your brother? Where is Abel? "'I don't know.' "'Cain responded, "'Am I my brother's guardian?' But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land, from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No. For I will give you a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled into the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time that we have to be together, Lord, and thank you for your word, and thank you for your Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to just illuminate the scripture to us. God, we're thankful to come and to your house and to worship you. And thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you that you are faithful despite our best and worst efforts, Lord. And Lord, as we just prepare for a new series, thank you for your word. And thank you for the way that you work. And Lord, we just pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word and that whatever you want me to say, I say, and whatever you don't, I don't. And we will be careful to give you all the glory. We thank you for the men and women that you call faithful from Hebrews 11. And we, we just, we can't thank you enough for your faithfulness. So we thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So I would suggest that in our faith journey, we have good and bad and ugly, like I had mentioned, and for those of us who are followers of Christ, we all have different experiences on our path of faithfulness, and for some, again, this morning, you might feel the weight of the ugliness or the bad. Uh, I wrote the junky or yucky parts of things that has happened to you or that you have done, and you feel that weight, and some may feel more like they're just simply bad that they are hiding some sin or perhaps not so hidden things and not feeling great. And for some, you might feel as if you're on the good side this morning. Uh, just a note of caution. Praise God if you are in a season where you feel more like Abel than Cain, but be weary of pride. We might be Abel, but we can all quickly turn to Cain. Quickly. I'm not suggesting necessarily murder, but definitely jealousy which comes from pride. But all that to say is that the author of Hebrews wants us to understand and see what faith looks like. And, we'll, as the author takes us through the different people, the different characters of the Bible, we will see different skills, gifts and abilities and on all different kinds of level, but at the very heart, we will see faith and hopefully we will see why they are called a faithful person or the hall of faith or whatever you want to call it. And really, in a nutshell, faith is a trust in God that surpasses everything else. It surpasses your fear, your personal desires, your ambitions. It's where your hope lies. It's what transforms you to who you are. It helps you become more like Christ. And in this story that we've read, it's a a faith of Abel, specifically the heart and admiration of his giving. That's where we see his faith. That's why he is the first person mentioned in this story. And as we read just the first part of Hebrews 11, the author, probably Paul, writes that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So there's evidence beyond what we can see and I would suggest what we feel. And as verse 2 tells us, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation because of their faithfulness unto God. And that's what faith is and we're all on a journey of faith and we are all moving in one direction or another and hopefully we're all moving towards the direction of closeness, intimacy with Christ. So as we consider that, just just some details of the story that we read from Genesis. Um, in the story that we read this morning, there, there are a lot of firsts in the story. And of course, there'd be a lot of firsts in a story when it's the first people that were born. Yes, Adam and Eve were the first people. They were created by God. But this is the first birth, first brothers, first sacrifice, first of a lot of things. And this comes off of the heels of Adam and Eve are just kicked out of the garden. They've just, if you turn the chapter over, the page over, Genesis three, they were kicked out, they were cursed. And again, we see this first birth. And in the Jewish culture, and even in the Jewish culture today, uh, when a couple names their baby, when a mom and dad names their baby, it, it is indicative of how the parents are feeling at the time. Of the child's birth And again even That's what they do today So if it's a happy birth If they're in a happy season They generally give the child a name That is happy or of good fortune If they're really down In the dumps Then they give They name their baby An awful name uh, It's still Still uh, What they practice today uh, When when we were uh, In Jerusalem Or When we were in Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, uh, one guy told the story of his name, and he said that it could mean either of great fortune or bad fortune, and when he asked his uh, mom and dad, was it a good time or a bad time, and they said, I don't remember. He said, I wish they would have said it was at least a bad, but they don't remember me. Now, for us, of course, names are important, and names mean things. There's meaning behind the names, but I would suggest that our sentiment is not how we hope to predict, or how we are feeling for our children. And all that to say is that when Adam and Eve gave when Eve gave birth to their first child, Cain, she named him Cain, which means "I've got him here. He is." You're like, so what? What does that mean? So if you remember when, when God kicked him out of the garden and, and he cursed Satan, serpents, and he said the seed of the man, of the woman, will crush your head, Eve, when she gave birth to Cain, named him, here he is. He's going to crush Satan's head. So in her mind, in, in Adam and Eve's mind, they were thinking, oh, well, this is going quick. We're going to give birth to the Messiah. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to go back to the garden. No problem. Wrong. But that's what they named Cain. Um, Just some more details. As Cain wanders around for his banishment, uh, he eventually has a family. And some of his family members, some of his children eventually become famous people that we know. Probably um, the most famous of which is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. His great, 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 I think it's eight greats, if I counted right, its grandfather, Jethro, was Cain. Can you imagine being in the family line of the first murderer? Which just goes to show you that your family origin, your family line does not necessarily dictate who you're going to be. Now for Abel, his name means breath or son of breath or the breath of a son. Which simply means the anticipation is that Cain was going to handle Satan. And Abel would be able to breathe a sigh of relief. So as we consider this, let's, let's pick up the story here and, and see exactly what happens. In verse 2 of Genesis 4, it says, Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Let's stop right there. All of the paintings and the sculptures that we have show them as young adults. We actually don't have a timeline of when this took place. But at some point, they grew up and Abel became a shepherd. Which makes sense because from there on out, if you remember from our series in Psalm 23, the youngest brother always becomes the shepherd, is always the caretaker of his father's flock. And then Cain cultivated the ground or the farmer. And then ever since this time, farmers and shepherds have always been at odds. I'm not suggesting here in America necessarily, but in Israel, there's always been... At odds because shepherds are nomads. They roam around and lead their sheep to green pastures. We talked about that so much in Psalm 23. And farmers put up fences to protect a crop. So ever since this time, there's been this, this, this competing of whose offering would be better? Whose job would be better? Which sibling would be honored by God better So pick it up in verse 3. It says, When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected or downcasted. So again, I mentioned that the, there's a lot of firsts. This is the first time that we see an offering or a sacrifice given. There's no details exactly of why there was an offering, why there was a sacrifice. Jewish tradition suggests that once they were out of the garden, God regularly was out with them. And he had taught them later on the Levitical law that, that he gives the, God gives to Moses tells about what kind of sacrifice. Just to be clear up front, this is not an argument whether a grain offering or or a lamb offering was better, a meat offering. Just to be clear, that doesn't matter because we we see later on a, a grain offering is acceptable to God. And I just wanted to point that out because it's not the size of the gift that matters. It never is. God doesn't care about that. He cares about the heart. And we'll get that to a moment. I just wanted to... Just in case I forgot to mention it. I just wanted to point that out. But you see what happens with Cain. Cain presents some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. I appreciate how NLT explains that. Presents some. And it suggested that. It's almost as if he was bringing in his crops and he goes, Oh, I should probably give God something. Then verse 4, it says, Abel also brought a gift. Probably because he saw this big brother do it. And he says, oh, I want to do that too. Or that looks like fun. But he says, the best portions of his firstborn lambs to his flock. Cain brought his offering. Many common, Most commentators, at least in the, from the first century on, suggest. And here's a new thing that I was not taught in Sunday school. Suggest. That Cain brought his offering to the tree of life right to the gate of the garden. They were kicked out because the cherubim guard the way to the tree of life. And cherubim are always associated with the dwelling place or meeting place of God. And you can see that in Exodus 25. It's possible I'm not suggesting that it, it's for sure, but it's possible that Cain and Abel and later others met with God at the Tree of Life or just outside of the gate, and that's where they would meet God. And then after the flood, it was completely destroyed, so they never returned there, and that's why they were always hoping to eventually build a temple to worship God. Uh, the God followed them while they were in the wilderness. Just, just a side note, just to consider, when Adam and Eve were kicked out and God added the cherubim to protect the entrance to the tree or to the garden, I think part of it, a major part of the reason why God did not allow them to go all the way back to the garden is because he knows humans. And our desire is always to go back to something than to someone. They wanted to go back to um, what they had Like this nostalgic feeling of what the garden represented rather than going back to God. Because God knew that they would try to go back to the garden to try to make it right. And really his whole desire for all of us is not to go back to a time, it's to go back to him. So as we consider that, as they were presenting this, this sacrifice, this offering, again, one of the first, the very first sacrifice, at least that we see in the Bible They come to God and they present something to God to give back to God. And again, both the grain and animal sacrifices were offered in the temple later on. And also it leads to what Abel gave. Abel gave a lamb, the best lamb, the first lamb. And here was one lamb for one man. Later, the Passover will be one lamb for an entire family. And then the Day of Atonement, which is also a Jewish celebration, is one lamb for an entire nation. That's why once a year, the high priest would go in and sacrifice the one lamb. And if you were with us on Good Friday, Marcus explained that the tradition is that they would put bells on the priest just in case he was with sin, fell over, the bells would ring. You're like, oh, we better drag that guy out and pull the rope. And then eventually, Jesus... Becomes the one lamb who took away the sins of the whole world. So even at the very beginning, the very first sacrifice point to Christ. So Cain was angry. Anger was undoubtedly rooted in his pride. Now I don't think I have to explain it so much, but if you have a brother or a sister or a spouse or a friend, or if you're a human being, I would suggest that you've been jealous of somebody else. And in our devotion that we do as a family, after we have dinner, we do a family devotion. Excuse me. And the last one that we did last night was, have you ever done something and did not get credit for it? And boy, did we not have a lack (laughs) of list to say the kids were... Very quick to say all the things that they did not get credit for. And even in that list, there was some argument of who should have got that credit within the credit. For example, well I did no, you didn't do it all the way, because if you remember, I'm the one. And then of course you come through and actually mom was the one who cleaned up the whole mess, but she doesn't get any credit anyways. But it's that that jealousy, it's 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 almost Cain says, look, look what I gave you, God. And then his little brother comes and gives something. And you know when someone does something better from the heart, you can tell before it actually takes place. You know when you have given to God or to anyone in a place where you just do it out of obligation. You know when you see someone else do it, and it's this whole comparison thing, because I, at least in my mind, and, and I think I just dream in cartoons all the time, but in my mind, I just see, see it as Cain comes and says, here you go, God, thanks, and I'll see you later. And as he's walking by, you just see an excited Abel running up, look what I brought you. Just this excitement, and already there's anger in his heart. That little brother, he's always trying to one-up me. Does anyone have a little brother? You know it's true. It's true. Or older brother, older sister. But what we see here is that there's this anger that starts to develop. And it's because of the original sin. I would suggest that his sin, Cain's original sin, is pride, which is really a form of idolatry. Which is what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the beginning. They thought they were better than God. They thought they knew better than God. They thought that they were not getting what they deserved. They thought, like in the kids' devotion last night, they they weren't getting the credit they deserved. And here we see Cain do it. And Abel. Abel is considered faithful, according to Hebrews 11. Um, If we go back to Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. Notice that his offering did not make him righteous. It revealed righteous. His gift revealed what was already going on in the heart. He brought a more acceptable offering to God. But notice again, it doesn't say that Cain did not give an offering. It said more of an acceptable offering. And here's the point. God never looks only at our worship. He looks at the worshiper. God doesn't merely look at the gift we give, but look at the heart of the gift giver. God never separates the sacrifice from the sacrificer. I know there's no word sacrificer, but you know what I mean. He never separates us from what we offer him. He never, he never thinks, wow, Dallas, you... Look at all that you did. You must be great. No, he looks at why I'm doing it. He's looking at my heart. He's looking what's really going on behind closed doors, what's really going on below the surface. He knows the heart in which you give. It does not matter the size of the gift, but the heart in which you give it. And that's why Cain is considered faithful. So, in our faith journey, we must consider what kind of giving we do. And I'm not talking about money, but it's included. I'm not just talking about your time, it's included. I'm not talking about your your gifts and abilities. I'm not talking about any of it, but all of it together. He knows the heart in which you give. He knows if you are giving or you're serving, you're sacrificing, he knows if you are doing it, God knows if you're doing it for recognition. Have you ever done something good and then went around and told people how well you did it? Or, let's back it up a little bit, have you ever the one time did dishes, made so much noise that you made everyone in the house know you were doing dishes? No? Or you, you vacuum, but no one's home, so you make sure you leave it out? Okay, I think maybe you guys are vacuumers, not dishwashers. But you know what I'm saying? You you make sure that you know. Maybe even in your prayers that you pray out loud, you make sure that people know what you've done. God knows that way before you've even done it. He knows why you are doing it. Because you think, or perhaps, that's not even it. Maybe you don't even want recognition. Perhaps you are giving to God something because you are hoping then he will owe you. You're hoping, okay, God, here's my whatever. And I'm hoping that since I've increased it a little bit, that you'll give me some, that you will bless me. I'm only giving because I think you'll owe me and that you will bless me by it. Now, faithfulness, you will be blessed, first of all, simply for being faithful. But you know the times when you do something good, and maybe it's not for recognition, but you're hoping karma, there's no such thing as karma, but you're just hoping that you'll get something from it. Or, if you're giving out a guilt, you've done something wrong, and you feel like, instead of owning your sin... If you just give a little bit more, it'll be the Old Testament, and it'll be done. God knows the difference between a gift from the heart, out of a relationship, or a gift of out, of, out of obligation. That's from our great theologian, Chris Gordon. Sorry, Chris. <clears throat> But he knows the difference. He knows that if you are serving the Lord, if you're giving to the Lord out of a relationship that you have with him, there's nothing else you would rather do than give to the Lord because you love him and it doesn't matter if anyone else notices, you just love him and you want to bring your first fruits to him because everything that you have already belongs to him anyways. Or you're doing it out of obligation because I am religious and this is what you're supposed to do and I want to be a good little Christian, and this is the rules that I follow. So, do you give back to God because of a command, or you do it out of the love that you have for him? Cain did it simply to obey. Here you go, God. Again, going back to my cartoon vision, it's almost, I could even see him saying, here, take it, thanks, see you next week. And Abel gave his best, Because it came from a place of faithfulness. He knew that if he was to surrender his very best to God, that his very best was actually God and not what he had. See, God's faithfulness, God is actually very compassionate and very loving and very caring. And he blesses us so much, so abundantly, I would suggest, that all he desires truly is just our heart to return. So then the story continues on. Abel gives the good gift. And then in verse 5 of Genesis 4. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. And he looked dejected. And immediately God goes to Cain. says, why are you so angry? I love when God asks the question that he knows the answer to. Because he knows all the answers. He just wants to see if you're honest enough to... To respond, he says, Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? And then he answers it You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must, be, you must subdue it and be its master. So, no, so God goes from asking the question. To the second question, why are you so dejected? Then to answering it, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. And then he talks about sin crouching at the door. And people have argued, what did this actually mean about the sin he committed already? Or the sin he's going to commit? And the answer is yes to both. He's saying, I know what's going on in your heart right now and you're very angry at your brother and if you don't stop it, it's going to lead to murder. It's sitting right there. Sin has now entered the world, thanks to your mom and dad, but now thanks to you. And it's waiting to eat you up. Unforgiveness will always eat you up. Unforgiveness is pride. And unforgiveness is idolatry. And that's what God says to Cain. And then there's no answer. If there was an answer, it would be in here. And again, I just imagine that Cain just shakes his head, probably mumbles something. You just don't get it, God. I'm mad at you. You like my little brother more than me. Whatever's going on in his head and then it goes on one day. We don't know how many days later. One day, Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacks his brother Abel and killed him. In your mind, do you picture Cain killing his brother with a big rock? It's probably because it's what's in all the paintings. I don't know actually how he killed him. It doesn't matter how he kills him, but I what I tend to do is I read through the scripture and and I picture what I think happens. And then what is really important as good Bereans as an ax to see what does the scripture actually say and then find out how much we've add to it to fill in the blanks. So in my mind, he has a big rock because that's all the paintings and the pictures they have, but we don't know. Maybe so. And then my, my next question that I ask is, well, how would he know to kill anything? Like there's never been a killing. Well, the animal sacrifices. But if he was a farmer, so then at some point, he's, he's learned. And it just shows you how, how something, a sacrifice, how Abel gave a sacrifice can quickly turn for Cain. So however he kills him, he kills him. Afterwards, the famous line takes place, verse 9. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? And then he says, I don't know, Liar. And then Cain respond, am I my brother's guardian or am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes, actually. We are all our brothers and sisters keepers. We're all supposed to care for one another. So he gave two lies, two false statements to God. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good of Abel was that he gave to God out of the abundance of his heart. The bad, we don't see a bad that Abel did. That doesn't mean he's without sin, the story. This character does not have bad. The ugly, the ugly is obvious. What happened to him? Cain killed him. And although it, it, a lot of times the characters that we see will be contrasted, and you'll see this, and I'll point it out as we work through Hebrews 11, we will see the example of what is the good, and we will see the example of what is the the bad, and this one is the obvious, the two brothers. And some of them will be less obvious. So now Cain kills his brother. That's the, that's the ugly. But God is always good. That was a statement that we make quite routinely, and it is true. And, and God is always good. And this is the first example in this story of how God is good. Verse 10, but the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Let's stop right there. How was that good? Because immediately God had every right to kill Cain. Because we find out later the wages of sin is death. But he doesn't. He asked him, what has he done? And his blood cries out from the land. And now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be homeless, wanderer of the earth. You think, what a cruel punishment. But yet, I believe in this time, God's desire, which is always his desire, is for each and every one of us to come back to him. If he would have killed him immediately, there was no chance for Cain to respond, to repent, to come back. And yes, there is a punishment for his sin. Yes, he was cursed and banished. A a farmer cannot no longer till the ground. But yet, in God's goodness, he gives him every opportunity to repent. And I would suggest he gives us every opportunity. He gives him a warning and an out, is what I call it. He gave him a warning well before he killed his brother. If you don't deal with this now, it's going to get worse. And he gave him an out. You're going to wander to land, and all you have to do is come back to me. God warned Cain about this destructive power of sin. And Cain could have resisted sin and find a blessing, or he could give in to the sin and be devoured, and he was devoured. There's a quote from one commentator that says, we prevent sin from ruling over us by allowing God to master us first. Without God as our master, we will be slaves to sin, even to death. So faith, part of our journey in our faith is how we deal with our sin. And as we grow in our faith, ideally, we deal with our sin immediately. We deal with it when it's only a thought. And again, look at the way Cain responds to God in the most famous line, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. The answer is always yes. You were supposed to look out for him, oldest brother, and he was supposed to look look out for you, youngest brother. But back to the response, instead of saying to God when, when, when God confronted him, if he would have just had a contrite heart, a broken heart, God, I have sinned, I have messed up, I killed him. That's not how he responds at all. In Jude one eleven, it, we hear about this, about Cain. This is what sorrow awaits them, talking about anyone this about anyone who disrupts the path of God. And the prophet says, For they follow the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother, like Balaam. They deceive people for money, like Koran, they they perish in the rebellion. The footsteps of Cain, the the hatred, the jealousy, the root of sin in your heart kills. There's no greater curse on the earth than an empty, vain religion that doesn't change your heart. That's why it is a relationship with Christ. And even and one last, well, two more things. Even in Cain's response, whenever God kicks him out, it says, and Cain, or excuse me, Uh, Verse 12, it says from Genesis 4, verse 12, no longer will the ground yield good crops for you no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be homeless, wonder of the earth. And what is Cain's response? I'm so sorry, God. No, he says, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Get over yourself. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wonder. And if anyone who finds me will kill me. And that doesn't go to answer where did all the other people come from. Most people believe that. Adam and Eve had many, many, many children. This happened over a long, long time. They lived hundreds and hundreds of years. He's essentially saying people will kill me because they'll know what I've done. It's all about me. And the Lord replied, no, I will give you, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. And you might ask yourself the question, well, what kind of mark did he have? Was it a tattoo? Was it clothing? I don't know. Some Jewish commentators think that God gave him a dog to follow him all of his life and they, he would bark and bark and bark and bark and bark to let people know that the man that God cursed was coming. But that's Jewish tradition. It's probably the clothing that he wear. He wore. The only reason why that, that suggested is because of the clothing that Jethro. Remember Moses' father-in-law wore. People of the land. So then Cain left the presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's sad to be marked in that way. And all he had to do is repent. So part of the the faith journey is, is, again, immediately respond to whatever sin that enters in. And as Abel, the good that he did, he came from, gave to God from the abundance of the relationship that he had with him. Even so much so that Jesus himself even mentions Abel's faith. In Matthew 23, verse 35, as a result, Jesus says, talking to the Pharisees, whenever he's really giving it to the Pharisees, he says, you will be held responsible for the murder of all the godly people of all time, from the murder of the righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berketh, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. He is then connecting what Jude will say, which we already read, that said, you will follow in the footsteps of Cain. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is you have an opportunity to either be like Abel or be like Cain and murder. So we look at this story in this introduction to faith and faith here, the reason Abel is mentioned is because of the place that he gave from his heart. I think the basic problem that we have as people is we have a worship problem because most of us, deep down inside, worship ourselves. What do I get from this? What do I do? What does it look like for me? And we really do have to fight that. We really have to fight our worship of, whenever we're giving our worship with our hands, our, our lips and reading. So the question is, is do you give God your best? Do you let the root of sin produce bad fruit? Do you entertain sin? So the question really is, is how do you keep God on the throne of your heart? It's always going back to him. From where do your desire, where does your desire come from? Where do you go to? When you give to God, where does it come from? Do you give of your first fruits? And again, going back to, The statement I made earlier, God never looks only at your worship, but he looks at you as the worshiper. He doesn't look at the gift you give or the size that it is. He looks at the heart behind your giving, and he will never separate your sacrifice from you. He knows the heart in which you give. He knows if you're giving or serving or sacrificing for recognition and all that we had mentioned, But then again, going back, do you give back to God because of a command or do you give it back to him because of the relationship that you have? And that is why Abel is mentioned. He's only mentioned a couple of times and he dies, but he's considered faithful because of the heart that he has. So as we consider that again, just, and we're going to close later on with Psalm 50 and there's a line in it that says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. Abel gave his best, which was a place of faithfulness. So next week, we'll talk about Enoch and what that looks like to walk with the Lord without death. But as we consider just the faithful, just this introduction is just consider where you are at on your faith journey and where you would like to be. So let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have had just to get things off. And thank you for those kids that shared the story, and thank you for their little faith that they have. We just pray for them and all of our children, Lord, that they continue to grow in their grace and their mercy, your grace and mercy as they pursue you, Lord. And we also pray that same thing for us, Lord. Will you help us take a look at where we are at in our faith journey? Let us celebrate the good. Let us hate the bad and Let us deal with the ugly appropriately, Lord. Lord, will you speak to us if there's anything in our heart that is not of you, if anything that we're hiding? Lord, will you also speak to us if there's um, any unforgiveness, any jealousy or pride? Lord, will you help deal with that right away? Lord, will you help us give out of abundance of a relationship that we have? Just that scene, whatever that scene is for everybody here of Abel just running to you or skipping to you so excited to give his gift because of the relationship that he's had with you. That's the kind of giving that we want to give unto you Lord. Maybe our money or our service or time or our worship our reading or our relationships Lord and we just want to give you the the first fruits, the the fatness of it all Lord. Just the the good parts, because ultimately, Lord, we realize that every good gift comes from above, which is from you, Lord. So Lord, as we continue to sing a few more songs to you, may we do it from a place out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for who you are, Lord. We just thank you for the way that you work. We love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.